Hey, welcome back. This is episode two of Art Now with Chris P. And today I have Max Colbertson. He is my go-to art enthusiast or history enthusiast. And uh, you are my go-to like art professional. <laughs> Thanks, appreciate that. And uh, so. Max knows a lot more about art than he, he knows, by the way. He, he, he knows a lot, I mean, a lot about history. Well, uh, history connects back pretty well with a lot of subjects, too. So I, I end up learning about art as a byproduct sometimes. Cool, cool. Um, but this is something I know you always like to say about what you know. Oh, that I know. I, I don't know a lot. Okay, I know a little bit about a lot, but I don't know a lot about anything in particular. So. <laughs> Um, okay, so today's episode is going to be about the past of arts. Boom, 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 boom. In the depths of history, back in, <laughs> in the cradle of humanity. <laughs> there was an Earth, a planet. And there was art. <laughs> okay, maybe there was a lot more that happened in between then. Uh, okay, so more realistically, um, think about it. So... Factually, there was a time period of the Earth where there were no human beings, right? Mm -hmm. Then, over the course of just so much time, or uh, there were human beings who eventually not only survived, but were able to use their free time, which was probably like a new concept, <laughs> but to use their free time to do things like communicate through visual means and to eventually express themselves through visual means yeah uh we have we have evidence of art going back uh, tens of thousands of years uh one good example is venus of willendorf which was found in germany and it was uh, about twenty-five thousand years ago someone uh made that and it was lost and then found today so we we know that people have been create have been creating art for a long time, and that is that the stone sculpture of like a, like a body, like a like a female, or yeah, that was the um, it was a it's a stone sculpture of a of a kind of a fatter woman, a larger woman, mm -hmm. and uh, that's been used a lot these days to infer that you know uh, uh, that a that someone who's overweight now might be considered a big like. Um, like a kind of like a rich person or desirable, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, is um, we don't know if now the guy who made Venus of Willendorf out of stone uh, had a neighbor who made the Venus of, you know, uh, Eastern Willendorf made uh, made out of like the thinnest women in the land. Or yeah, something like exactly. That. That's just because. Uh, and then <laughs> his neighbor liked that kind of woman, and he liked that kind of woman. So, but but that we don't know that. So I think I think what you're trying to get to is that that we're I think something you've said before that we're limited to simple facts, right? Of, yeah. hum, of history and humanity. Yeah. Our uh, our understanding of history and of the past is limited by the simple facts of nature that um, uh, that things can degrade over time. So a lot of art that human uh, that humans have made is just uh, lost to decay. Like if you make things out of wood or out of other materials that are going to degrade over time, then that's uh, then we we wouldn't know about it today. Like we can't pull it out of the ground unless it's been fossilized or preserved or somehow. And um, 
so we know a, a lot about a, a lot about the history of the past, but there's simply just so much of it that is it is lost. It is lost to us today, and we'll never know about it. Um, oh, uh, one interesting example of some organic stuff surviving into the future today is a uh, uh, painting on uh, the inside of cave walls in France. The uh, the cave art of depicting like horses and wild buffalo or cows, like something along that nature, and uh, it uh, just shows. Now humans trying to communicate to express themselves. This is true, and so one example is the Lascaux Cave, L-A-S-C-A-U-X. It's yep. a French cave. Yep, that's the one I was talking about. And it's one. It's one of the earliest found uh, like forms of what a lot of art, art historians would argue between as either design or art. You know. And if, if, I'm not sure if you guys have heard my previous description, but I'll just say it real quick. It's from episode one. That, in short, the difference between art and design is that design's fundamentals is communication. And art's is expression. And that's it, on a bare, basic, minimum level. So if you look at these cave paintings, you have to ask yourself, were these cavemen and women trying to express themselves? Meaning, like, did they have a feeling and an emotion and a story that they were trying to captivate in their audience? Or were they just simply communicating a, a concept? Just, hey, watch out, horses here, danger, or horses here, like, hunt, you know? Like, like we don't know. Like, But my personal guess, based off of research, is that... And, and also based off of just um, like like evolution, just looking at this most things, usually they prefer they're, 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 uh, usually it's focused in survival first. and you know luxury second. And art it really is a luxury. Artists don't you know if you can't feed yourself, you don't have time to make art and like it just <laughs> I think every painter has experienced that <laughs> even even the successful ones. You know, and as in, so if, if if it's like that nowadays, then it for sure was like that back then. Yeah, well, one of the one of the uh, milestones in human history was agricultural farming, right? And uh, after after civilizations could support a surplus of grain, they that uh, that surplus of grain could feed other artisans like uh, potters. Or uh, bakers or artists, you know, people who could spend their time advancing in a craft to produce uh, great architecture or beautiful statues or uh, creating uh, an entire, you know, script system to keep records and uh, decorate uh, mausoleums or uh, create uh, models of of uh, ships during that time like someone spent someone uh not only did someone build an entire ship that could run up and down a river at one point for the first time in history but either shortly before or shortly after that someone had created a model of the same construction and those survive today uh 
a lot of like uh, I do believe I I, I mentioned that specifically because I uh, I believe um, when they found Tutankhamun like in his tomb there was a uh, model of the ship or that that's I need to fact check myself because that just sounds like something go ahead fact check fact check right, just so you guys know during this show we're gonna have moments where we fact check what we say because we want to give you guys the most accurate information possible um, in the meantime, I wanted to quickly say, um, so, um, hey, uh, Max, what was the name of the sculpture of the woman we were talking about earlier? Sculpture of the woman? Oh, uh, Venus of Willendorf? Yes. So the Venus of, of Willendorf is actually the medium that they used to create that sculpture. I found highly interesting. It's called Olite, or Eggstone, and it's a certain sedimentary rock that's spherical uh these like perfect or not perfect but they're they're more spherical and uh like little gems or something they they're really interesting and uh they're, they're all white and i had to focus on that because each culture is limited just like how we're limited to finding about finding out about their culture they were limited to the means of of uh, tools and me- and mediums. So their medium was stone, you know, and not just stone in general, but olite, like a, like a specific kind of stone that you can't find in other parts of the world at that time period. And even nowadays, I, I never hear of olite sculptures. Yeah. Well, I wanted to say that uh, I've, I fact checked, and yeah, there were multiple models of boats found in the tomb of uh, Tutankhamun. Uh, meant to ferry him to the land of the dead, but they're based off of designs from that were contemporary to his time. Uh, um, so you're talking about uh, medium, you know, lo- medium limitation. That's uh, some that's something you can certainly discuss with history because you can get into like the availability of purple ink in ancient European history, where uh, the only uh, the only way for someone to create a purple ink. Was to speci- was to specifically uh, chemically render these snails that are only found uh, in modern what's modern day Turkey, um, and it took it, it, it was such an economic it was such a financially intense process with a lot of labor and time that uh, it was one of the most expensive commodities in ancient Europe. So if anything had purple in it, like uh, something that was painted or cloth. That was already a signal that someone who was uh, who had a lot of influence or money was attached to this work somehow. So uh, that's uh, so t- yeah to talk about limitation of resources and you know what people are able to create. And I know that in economics, in like at least anybody who teaches correct economics is taught that value is equated to scarcity it's like a byproduct of scarcity i mean so i'll just do a quick thought experiment to illustrate this so imagine you're in a desert and you walk across one stop and it's an unlimited amount of water bottles so of course you're going to fill all your hands can let's just say it's 10 water bottles so you grab 10 five in one arm five in the other you're walking now the next stop is is um an unlimited amount of gems so you how many gems versus water are you going to grab because in this moment 
What is the value equated to a gem in the middle of a desert? Nothing. It's practically nothing. I mean, it's worth less than a water bottle because water means life. And here you are standing with a like, definite limitation of 10 water bottles. Yeah, and you could have a billion dollars worth of gems. But right now, it's worth nothing. So you keep walking, keep walking, and then basically, long story short, when you get, once you get to half, you're able, you're able to, since you're halfway to out of the desert, the value of the gems increase over time, over, over time, and the value of the water decreases over time. So you're at the, when you're at the half point, you're going to have five water bottles, five gems. When, you, when you're at the three-quarter line, you're going to have three-quarter gems, a quarter water bottles. And yeah. when you're at the end, you're going to have nothing but gems. Because and maybe one water bottle just in case, because you know you're about to get out of the desert, and so basically the value of the gems in the water is 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 equated to scarcity. That's the point. So when you go back to art, you know, going back to Max's example of purple paint, that just simply its scarcity is what created such a high class value in the paintings alone. So literally, if you just used the color paint purple on a painting, it was just like already expensive. Yep. That, that was already a sign of, uh, of exclusivity and... Um, wealth. And wealth, yeah. So if, if a... Uh, so if uh, like a tribal leader in the middle of Gaulish France uh, was... You know, war got a brand new purple cape. That meant that uh, he used, you know, a bunch of the village's resources to get him that cape. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now that's the most wealthy cape. Whereas someone else could have made the, like a perfect sculpture of a human being and like didn't have the color purple, and maybe people would have scoffed at it and called it shitty art. You know, like <laughs> all because of all because of it, uh, the culture, the time period, and the perception of value. Isn't there a uh, isn't there someone who owns the, like the, the exclusive right to use Vanta Black and yeah? And oh, just if we're talking real quick, we're kind of getting into nowadays for a second. But I mean, you can get sued, royally sued. I'm talking like millions of dollars sued if you use the wrong. If you use McDonald's red, <laughs> if you use McDonald's Corporation red on a shirt and sell it, and they can prove that it's the exact hue. Uh, red, you will get sued. Oh yeah, there's a lot of legalities behind that stuff these days. Yeah, there's uh yeah there's even what's the the there's a Dodger like fan club who they they name themselves after the specific like Pantone number for Dodger blue. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, anyway, okay. So yeah, like uh, so a medium medium can certainly send a message even throughout history and like. It, that's a, a constant, a constant in uh, human art. I think. All right, this is true, but I'm gonna switch the mode back to ancient history. So, um, I did a quick little research here, and so far, just got a preference. These are researches from the internet, and you know, sometimes they're not always the most accurate. But we're trying to find the most accurate things, which is why I've got Max here. So if anything sounds like time periods are off, we'll update them. We'll update you. Mm -hmm. um, but oh, yeah, this episode will be just chock full of cuts. Going, oh no, we meant this. We meant that. <laughs> that was no, that was wrong. <laughs> okay, so 
The oldest Egyptian paintings apparently are from like 3500 BCE. Max, what do you think about that? I think that would put them before the construction of the pyramids, which the pyramids are pretty old themselves. 3500 BCE, that's that's not 3500 years ago, that's 5500 years ago. Yes. That's yes. a long time ago. Yes. That's mammoths, mammoths were easily roaming the earth at that point still. And uh, let's see, people had crossed into North America by that time. I think there have been people in North America for 15,000 years. But 5,500 years ago, that would, uh, that would that would be put it around the advent of agriculture, I think. Cause, or at least, uh, I do believe agriculture really got cooking around 6,000 BC, or 6,000 years ago, sorry. Or in fact, in fact. <laughs> okay, so right here, they're saying that these paintings are supposed to be dated 1,000 years before leaders like... Uh, the Tutankhamun and just the famous uh, Egyptian leaders of their time period, which is really interesting. Oh. All right, I got it wrong. It looks like uh, agriculture uh, really got going about ten thousand years ago, so about eight thousand BC. This is accurate, right? Yeah, yeah, I thought so. Yeah. So yeah, um, basically a thousand years before the great civilization of Egypt, th there were people making paintings already. Yep. So they are, they are already uh, this. They are uh, even before highly complex society would you know allow for uh, independent industries that were you know commercially interacting with each other. What's like, really sorry. What's really interesting here is they say that um, art history art historians most common agreements on the interpretation is the arrival of Asians to Egypt, which, I, I don't know, Max, what do you think about that? The arrival of Asians to Egypt? Yeah. Uh, that could mean a lot of things. That could mean uh, the arrival of people from Turkey to Egypt. Of course. Of course. Yeah, people yeah. from, oh, yeah. like, India, people from, you know, like, mm -hmm. Thailand. Like, mm -hmm. Who knows what they're talking about? Yeah, but it just, just but, but the point is, is it seems like that there, it was a recording of a migration. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, the, uh... I think you and I had a discussion one time that those like caves in France may have, may have been related to that, you know, uh, nomadic people migrating migrating into one place and uh, wanting to put down the record, tell their story of what was happening. Is there anything about Egypt you'd like to bring up? Because I'm gonna move on to the next. About Egypt and paintings and art and sculptures or anything. Okay. Well, uh, hieroglyphics are interesting. They uh, they are. Uh, you know, representative of uh, the, uh, you could like ha uh, what's the first letter in eagle is E, right? So what you could do is every time a word begins with the sound E, it has a little eagle symbol, and then so like um, e-commerce. You know, like you, all you gotta do is put a little symbol of an eagle in front of a word, and suddenly it's a, you know an electronic something hmm. or. Like, uh, you know, the eyeball of, um, you, you could have an eyeball before, like, iPhone or iPad, you know? Okay, so just using images as communication before the written word. Yeah, and uh, I think this gets to something you and I also talked about one time, which is the uh, difference between uh, creating a visual thing for for pure, like, data transmission and then one for, like, uh Expressing the emotional or story intent, like some, like a viewpoint. Yeah, like really trying to communicate a human experience. There you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree completely. And um, but sticking in so sticking into hieroglyphs, that's kind of getting to my. I've studied them when it comes to graphic design because they actually still exist. They're called just they're just called pictograms, and we they're just the Ameri- the Americanized version, uh, thousands of years in the future, but. There's a reason why they still exist. It's because we haven't really changed that much since the Egyptian days on a genetic level. Yeah, we're we're still we're really still the same people who uh, are even from pre-agricultural time. You know, fifty thousand years ago, now one hundred fifty thousand years. Exactly. Ago. So, given that, it makes sense to be to be able to make these statements, right? That. That um, in Egypt, you know, the Egyptian designer was probably crafting these symbols to just communicate a basic concept first, then later s- stories and grander, more grandiose concepts. Yeah, one of uh, one of the earliest stories we have surviving today is the Epic of Gilgamesh, right? But that's not one of the earliest pieces of writings we have. The earliest pieces, pieces of writings we have um, from Sumeria would be uh, tax records and like bills of sale. There you go. Exactly. Like, on this day, uh, 50 bales of copper were loaded onto this guy's boat, you know? And uh, that that sort of thing. But necessity of communication uh, brought about this invention that was then uh, also used to write down the Epic of Gilgamesh. One of, you know, a a piece of human cultural history now. There was a demand, and it kept its needs, you know. Basically, we're just trying to say that these things that we call design now are... They come from specific events in history that the world needed it, and it was created, and it helped, that you know, the culture, the thousands of people create civilizations far grander than anyone else before them. All because of... An, an image of a horse or an image of an eyeball now condensed and put into horizontal line rules that became written, you know, eventually written word. And it's just, I mean, we're skipping over a lot, but the point is, is that that's all encompassed in the word design, you know, and that, and people don't think about that these days, uh, at least not normally. And so, um, the last thing I want to say about this whole pictograms things is that nowadays hobos have actually been found worldwide to be having these little systems that they've developed where it'll just be like a circle with an X and that'll mean don't sleep here like I was injured here you know another one will be a skull and that means someone was killed here another one will be uh, will be like a, you know a specific like 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 a square right with a with a, with a, with a line through it uh, and then um, that that'll that'll mean like someone fed me here. Like so, there's a lot of so. Uh, it's uh, it's a design that has emerged to communicate uh, to me- to communicate meaningful concepts and um, ideas between people just organically on the street. Yeah, exactly. And you can look them up. They're usually called uh, hobograms or um, something like that, like hobo hoboglyphs. Um, but yeah, you can definitely find them. And um, like they're not they're not universal in, in terms of like how the Webster dictionary is, obviously. But there's enough of them to like be able to start creating like a language. 
I would imagine there's a high degree of I would imagine there's a high degree of variability like regionally and like even inside regions you know like there's there's probably uh, symbols I, I, so basically all I'm saying is I don't know how standardized it is but uh, it's still uh, like it's recognizable to to some people it's being it's you being used for communication that's so that's the point of visual pictograms even today is that they are universal they are the most universal since we're already talking about it so there's this guy named Otto Neurath that I studied and he's from the the 1900s we'll have a, a podcast focused more on that time period but he had a manifesto called uh, the manifesto of isotypes and and isotypes is what he called it but it just basically just means pictograms in essence and it just means using an image to communicate to anybody in the world that it shouldn't it shouldn't matter what culture you're from you should be able to look at this and know what it means in a second that's the ideal of an isotype or a pictogram and in, in this case that's what uh hobo glyphs you used as that standardization yeah the symbols for biohazard and radiation were uh, were invented uh just in the, you know less than 100 years ago and they had to come up with of ways to communicate this idea of danger in a specific way, right? Good point. So in graphic design, you'll learn that the color red in America almost always means danger. Almost is always a bad thing. Stop signs, red, stop, you know? Bad, green means go, right? Um, but in China, it's the exact opposite. In China, if you make a red shirt, it means positive. It's the most positive. It means joy. The best translation for the color red in China is joy. And it's almost to the point of complete cliche. Not almost. It's a very cliche in their culture. Like, if you're, a, you know, a, yeah. a Chinese girl wearing a red, like, dress, it's very cliche. But it's still, there's a cliche for a reason because it's embedded in their culture for thousands of years to mean, like, joy and prosper and prosperity and good wealth, good fortune. Yeah. And on, I guess on the opposite end of the emotional spectrum, there's also, there's also a difference in funerary color, colors in Western society and, like, Eastern societies where uh, funeral colors, you know, uh, typically here in the United States would be black. You know, black veil, black suit, you know. But, um... In traditional, like a lot of traditional Asian cultures, it's a, a white. Like you wear all white robes, and uh, and that would be more associated with like morbidity and death than blackwood. Yeah, there's a whole lot of cultural like uh, differences. But the point is, we're trying to get to here is that uh, design is trying to find these universal communications. Ultimately, usually. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. Like, the color red is obviously not as universal as I think most people would assume it is. Right? So, real quick, I found, I did some fact checking while we were talking. And so, yeah, I was right. The circle with an X means, oh, no, no, actually, sorry, I was wrong. It means good for a hangout. A handout. Wait, never mind, I was right. <laughs> I just read that wrong. Okay. Yeah, good for a handout. So, circle with an X. So, hey, if you're ever homeless and you see a circle with an X, stay there. <laughs> Whereas wealthy means triangle with a, with a square next to it. It looks like a little top hat. It may be. So, yeah, see, now we're starting to see it looks like a top hat. So maybe that was developed in the in the top hat time period. Who knows? Yeah, well, Monopoly Man, is, Monopoly Man is still famous, you know, for being a, a 
caricature of Wolf. He's got the top hat and the monocle and like the white mustache. Mm. This is true. Okay, so um, bread is very obvious. It's an oval with a bunch of lines, like a really long baguette. Uh, talk, talk religion, get food, is 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 a is a cross. So this literally just means if you talk about God, this person will give you food. Like that's it. Whether or not they're religious, it doesn't, it's not. It doesn't say. It just says that's what happened here. Yeah. Well, if, if I was homeless, I, I think that might be good information. <laughs> well, thankfully, thankful I'm not homeless. Um, okay, I got, I got that going for me. <laughs> Same here. Sorry. Another really interesting one here. It says it's an upside down triangle with no crossbar. So basically, an upside down V. Or sorry, sorry. It's basically a giant V. And it says fake illness here. So, yeah, so like apparently, you know, it's beneficial to fake an illness in certain places. This, uh, maybe, uh, okay, but uh, it, this could be like one of those sensationalism things where, like, you know, in magazines, it's like, what is your teen really texting? I agree, but I preferenced all that with that this is trying to be the closest thing to a standardization of communication, right, amongst ho- homeless people. That yeah. of course it's not going to be like the Webster dictionary, but right. it's 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 interesting though that there it's you know it's more classified as like communication amongst hundreds of people at least you know than than nothing. Yeah, and I guess it's easy uh, to think about this since we live in California and there is a there's a on- ongoing homelessness problem like all over. But uh, so much so that they're talking about that in the governor's race these days. But I, I'm not going to get into that. That's a whole. Other yeah, this is yeah. This is about the history of the past, or the like, just the past of art. So, okay. So um, I'm going to get back. So basically, the second oldest art findings are from Greece, 1600 BCE, known as the Dancing Woman of Knossos. And I may, I, may, I may be saying that wrong, probably am, but just you guys can look it up. K-N-O-S-S-O-S. So you can see what we're talking about as we go through. Um, so apparently it's a upper torso of a dancing woman and the materials are pottery and paint. The It says right here that um, this is from 1600 BCE specifically. Okay, well, uh, this that would put it before the Bronze Age collapse, which was when uh, there was a total economic meltdown of the ancient world. Uh, but th- this would be before that time, uh, during like the high culture of the Bronze Age or something, where um, you had uh, Greeks and Egyptians and Hittites and uh, I think precursors to Persians and all of them uh, uh, engaging in cross uh, cross cultural communication and trading. During that period, um, so and the oldest surviving Egyptian—I I imagine the oldest surviving Egyptian painting—is what we have today. You know, not not the oldest thing that an Egyptian ever painted in the world. Yes, these are definitely old paintings that are being uh, like honestly for me. I, I, I'm my strong suit is looking at the painting and dissecting it and understanding what a person from Greece 
was thinking and feeling when they made it you know as in like i'm not saying i actually know but like that's what i enjoy i enjoy trying to you know interpret it yeah what were they what was the point you know why did they make this like rather than um rather than like i don't really know exactly who was the emperor of the time period you know what i mean so, yeah something like that so but i feel like that doesn't matter as much so here th- here though it's kind of interesting they're saying that she's she's dressed in a traditional minoan gar- garb and her hair is this typical minoan style so the, 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 the minoan greeks had their own uh had their own writing script at one point that was a. Uh, uh, distinct from the uh, the lineage of the modern day alphabets and the modern day Greek written system. Uh, so, so uh, the whole other era of design you could you could study into and you know get inspiration from. That's that's the spectrum of history. And that would be a whole separate part, time period of even just Greece. But, anyways, um, so I personally am looking at this, and the things that I find interesting about it is. So the ones from Egypt were actually very different. They're like landscapes and they've got tons of people in them, like like 25 or more people. And it's telling a whole story of what's happening. Whereas this one is a selfie. This is basically the world's first selfie, yeah, in essence. Yeah, it's a woman uh, looking to the side uh, with her... Her hair coming off kind of like this, uh, the Starbucks mermaid tails, just drifting off to the sides of the of the work. Yeah, who knows? This might even be like a reference into, into the Starbucks logo. I'm not saying it is, but I'm just... Actually, I already know it's a reference to something else. But all I'm trying to say is that, that these kinds of things are commonly uh, re-researched and like re-washed and revamped into modern culture that we're like unaware of. And it's really interesting to see. So another part that I liked about this is the focus on her clothing it's yellow and it's got like a trim of blue and these triangles with red and then these dots with looks which also looks red in between each one and to me that's probably symbolizing wealth like she was able to afford fine nice clothing whereas instead of just like a basic white garb yeah this this person had uh is wearing something that someone spent a lot of time creating and had a lot of skill to invest in that creation. There's intricate patterns, there's vivid colors, and uh, and it's all, of course, tailored to the form of the woman. So now, in the oldest surviving painting, we have evidence of you know how intensely uh, an artisan of, of, of clothing making uh, would develop their skill at that point, and I, th- I feel like that's you know visual art on its own as well absolutely i agree so we're gonna move on to the next one which i find interesting it's called the oldest etruscan etruscan painting and the date is 690 bce Uh, it it looks a little more um uh, a little more stylized than the previous ones which were uh trying to be more true to true to form with uh you know how, how people looked but here we have almost cartoon looking like animals this is called tomb of the roaring lions and yeah they look like they look like fish that <laughs> have like cat ears so this is interesting apparently the tomb of roaring lions is the oldest est- estrusian tomb ever found 
and this makes paintings inside some of the oldest in all of Europe. The date back from around 690 BCE, and it's be it's believed that it belonged to a warrior prince. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that they that they're saying that based off of other artifacts that they found in the caves, but I'm not sure. So that should. Well, th this is um, this is now after the Bronze Age collapse. This uh, Etrus Etruscan cave uh, in 690 BC. Uh, what we what we were looking at before uh, in like you know 1500 BCE and then the, the other one in 3500 BCE. Like imagine all the time that's passed now. You know, 2500 years between. Well, I guess uh, 2700 years for this particular uh, piece. It's been 2700 years from then now. And what's another 20, uh, what's, uh, what's, uh, 27 plus 7? Let's see, uh, 34? So, 30, uh, 3400 BC, if you double the amount of time between now and this Etruscan painting, you still don't go back to the first Egyptian painting. Like, so this is old, but that Egyptian one is real old, at least, you know, in, in, in context. Um, the, the Etruscans were kind of interesting. They uh, they really liked Greek stuff, and they were some of the early influence of Rome too. So um, this is before the Roman times. The Roman times were, uh, you know, the hip, young, cool, ancient world. This is the uh, this is like the Middle Age. <laughs> this is like Middle Age, ancient world right here. So. I just found some more interesting facts about this, which is apparently it was discovered in 2006, so it's a recent finding, and from a grave robber who revealed its location to the authorities for leniency during his sentencing. So, like, this is a new thing. That, like, before this, we just, we would have just said, we just didn't know, you know? As in, and, and there are tons of other unknown spaces of the world that could just update what the oldest paintings really are, right? But for now, this is what we know. And and they were trying to say that before we thought... Here's a good example. So the before they thought that the animals in these cave paintings were lions. But now they actually, uh, with, with new information, think that they were deer or horses. And that actually makes more sense to me when I'm looking at it. The one on the left looks a lot like a horse's ears to me. And the way that its back is formed, like, and the way that its back leg yeah. is formed, it's that of a horse that's right. that's running and moving, like kind of like kind of like the first photos, like in black and white, of horses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. It, but just that that huge that like slo the sloping part coming off that looks like a big old jaw makes it look like you know some kind of carnivorous thing. To me, it makes it look like a Picasso painting of a horse. <laughs> You yep. know, uh, yeah, uh, uh, motion and stillness kind of thing. Kind of, yeah. So actually, I, I need to stop on that and, and expand. Which is okay. So he, this is a really key part of art. Is so like design. If this was just purely design, it would be just a literal depiction of a horse, like the closest depiction to a horse imaginable, done by a person with fingers. And um, so, uh, whereas in art, right, this is an artist's, in my opinion, I would just say this is art. Absolutely. So this is an artist's interpretation. It, this is a subjective interpretation of a, an objective thing that is not being, like, perp, you know, uh, recreated in a representational way. Uh, and if it was put in a perfectly representational way... Um, like as in then this person just had low skill right but the point is in the end is it still regardless of their skill a subjective interpretation of reality captured through
through a medium on on a, on a canvas. And the canvas, in this case, is just stone in a cave. It's art. Yeah, this this person has has built a human abstraction that can be communicated to another human, and here we are looking at it, humans. That's <laughs> you know. Uh, thousands of years later. Yeah, and then real quick, kind of referencing something we were saying earlier that Max is more referencing earlier, which is think about how much time now that's passed from the first cave paintings of horses to the to these cave paintings of horses, and the first ones were more literal. Hey, this is a horse. We don't want any confusion. Mm-hmm. Horses come here, whether it's good or bad, right? Horses come here. <laughs> Versus this one. I want to ask how many thousands of years has it been since those earlier cave paintings the first ones oh um tens of thousands of years right yeah yeah Yeah, uh, one one number I remember is us you know looking at the Venus of Willendorf and that was 25,000 years ago and so now 25,000 years plus uh 23,000 years uh and that's only 2,000 years ago so you know like you go back 2,000 years ago and then go back another 23 and you have stuff that more resembles uh, more more resembles like a closer to reality interpretation. Exactly, exactly. Um, so here we go. So the paintings of Lascaux, we talked about those earlier. They were the red and black paintings of deers and horse. They're estimated to be twenty thousand years old. So let's just get to, stick with that because they're more similar comparisons. Yeah. Which is so it took. It's been how many years then? Nineteen thousand. So, so if this has been about twenty five thousand years ago, then that means that. No, twenty thousand. Oh, twenty thousand for the the. Oh no, this this was only found in seven hundred BC. No, no, for for the for the for the, the cave horses. for the Lost Co Cave paintings of the horses. Right, right, yeah, that was twenty thousand years ago. So twenty thousand years, and then wait eighteen thousand more years, and someone in Etruria, some Etruscan person, uh, made this abstract painting of uh, some kind of beast. There we go. So that's what, that's all I wanted to just get conceptually here is that it took 18,000 years of human history right I'm not saying it took that long like as in it never existed before but here's just two examples of two different people from two completely different cultures from two completely different spaces of the world who both felt the need to who, who both actually survived had the ability and time to like to create something you know the older one out of necessity was design and communication of a horse the newer one through non-necessity but through the ability to to have expression and fun and creativity and storytelling did it more more of a uh, like i said earlier like a picasso style a just like a a really weird, odd, yeah. like child. Honestly, this looks like a an eight year old's drawing of a horse. Uh, maybe at first, but then you see like that there's different thicknesses of lines and like there's consistencies in different parts and stuff. Like who knows? Okay, know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just so you know, I can find an eight year old on Facebook who draws way, a thousand times better than any adult in yeah, that I, I know. It. I believe it. So, uh, or. I'm just saying that it looks like a child, a child's drawing, like sorry, and 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 uh, and like a, a child nowadays. I mean, and I'm just trying to show that it's very, it's still rudimentary. Kind of looks like something in a horror movie that would be meant to be a child's drawing. Yeah, almost. Mm-hmm. Like it's stereotypically, stereotypically so. 
So the next one is the this is number four now the oldest Chinese painting. Apparently, it dates from the year 475 BCE to to 221 BCE, which is a funny, a big time gap. But、uh, you know, the point is, is that it's generally that from that time period, and it's apparently the first examples of Chinese art as illustrations of calligraphy. So now we're getting back to what we were talking about earlier. Of writing, like China, China was really just super big in the development of the written word. You know, like at least of, at least of that, like not even the development. It's more like what am I trying to say? It's it's like they they used it in their culture to to such a heavy amount. They they just recorded everything,、mm-hmm. and that's one of the actually that's why they're one of the best,、um, like oldest places to go for human history. It's just because of. All the recording. Yeah, they.、Uh, what one definition of history is the written record, and Chinese written record goes back pretty far. But、um, like, meaning, how many years generally? Oh, ah,、oh, dang it! Just、okay. generally, just generally. Generally, okay. Well, um, this this、uh, this as an example,、uh, first example of calligraphy, fifth fifth century BCE. That's、um, about the that's that would be about the similar time as the、um, Etrurian. Painting that we just saw before, uh, so uh, not 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 as far back as Egypt. It it is pretty far. Like there's legendary Chinese history that's supposed to go back five thousand years ago or something. But they,、uh, we have we have written records.、Um, I want to say at least in there's there's some evidence of Chinese writing、uh, like two thousand BCE, I think. And well,、uh, Chinese writing started out as、uh, as pictograms, similar to Egyptian writing.、Uh, one thing they would do is take those pictograms that represented li- literal like trees and sheep, but also like figurative ideas of you know balance and life, and uh, in, in, and uh, they would write them. They would、uh, engrave them into bones, throw the bones in the fire, and try to make.、Uh, Predictions based off of that,、uh, almost like uh, you know uh, oracle divination kind of thing, and、uh, that was a、uh, so so even then you had a、uh, like a religious practical use for this design,、uh, you know, and and eventually that descended into、uh, to to today where、uh, you can do as much with Chinese writing as you can do with Latin writing, you know, you write you could.、Uh, Write entire books of, with it, and it's just a normal, developed human thing. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, more people use it. I mean, billions of people use it. So yeah, and, and yeah. It has and it has its roots in stuff like this of、uh, of the oldest surviving Chinese painting with calligraphy on it. And not only that, but it's it's actually now being redefined in modern terms of digital、uh, version like fonts, digital like Chinese fonts. That's a whole nother. Subsection of the design world that most people just don't think about, but yeah, that was a whole that was a whole like like struggle, which is how you know how do we get these these thing these characters that were created thousands of years ago on a screen that's in a format that can be transferred you know through type that can be easily tr- translated into like Latin and vice versa you know so anyways um so going back to this though um this example. It's really interesting. So it's really hard to see, but apparently, 
It's an image of a man holding a sword riding on the back of a dragon, which is in the shape of a boat. And there's also a small bird called an egret and a carp. Um, and apparently these are these are very common themes in Asian art. Um, probably probably that probably <laughs> specifically Chinese art. And um, many associate this painting with a famous poem. Uh, by a poet of the time period named Qiu Yan. So the the poem is spelled S H E J I A N G, and I don't want to mis mispronounce that one. Shejiang or something. Yeah, like Shejiang. And so go ahead and check that out if you're interested in the poem. But this this, this is really important. So it, the medium is silk. The other mediums that they're using. The, the, as in the paint, like the paints, etc. Um, it doesn't really say, you know, but but it's it's it, like the, this stuff. This type of stuff it matters a little. Like it's definitely not the red and black same materials that they were using on cave paintings, you know. As in, you know, again, this like each culture is limited to just the resources at their hand, and it ends up creating their like unique little stamp of art, you know. And so this is absolutely art. I would say this is definitely in the realm of art, where because it's a it's based off like there's already poetry, so so somebody thought of thought of a really complex story, you know, had the ability the financial ability to go talk to somebody who's going to craft paper by hand, purchase that paper, store that paper, think of the idea very carefully because that paper costed a lot of fucking mo money, right? <laughs> Yeah, and time, and effort, and energy, and so then they had to do the same thing, just to go craft all of their uh, all of their paints. Then they had to try and practice over and over, because every artist knows that struggle of practice until they got really good, until they could finally make that final one that we see on the wall of a man on a dragon with a sword. And they, the point is that they wanted to express a story up through a poem that they liked, and decided to do that through visual means now, rather than a um, written word means, which is kind of ironic when I think about it, because because <laughs> because you know, like they start uh, the written word in their language or culture specifically started off as images, yeah, but like from images to written word back to images, you know, yeah, <laughs> but but like images that are like more expressive though, yeah, and colorful, and in the realm of art, not just designed letter forms. See yeah. how they're different. Yep. Yeah. That uh, that uh, communication versus uh, the data versus the human expression. Kind of exactly. Thing. So here is absolutely an observation of the attempt at human expression in the years, you know, um, in the fifth century of China. Moving on. So um, apparent. So. Apparently, the old, oldest Indian painting is from the date 600 to 700 AD. And the name of the painting is the painting from the Taka... Oh my god, this is hard. T-A-K-A-M-A-T-S-U-Z-U-K-A tune. Taka Matsuzuka. Takamatsuzuka tomb. <laughs> and 
The couriers known as the Asuka Beauties. Materials are clay, sand, with colored foil. So this is getting really different, right? So apparently they were using a very, very full colored clay to as representations to show what they really looked like. These are very representational. Probably like the most representational we've seen thus far. And um, these are found in the walls and the ceilings of a cave named... Takamatsuzuka? Was that it? No, no. What? Oh, uh... Sitanavasol. Navasol? Sitanavasol? Yeah, yes, the Sitanavasol Cave. And this is the oldest known attempt at beauty in an indoor area. So apparently, this is like the like humanity's first attempt at at decorating indoors and these with, with paintings at least and apparently this is like the, like one of the first examples of plaster and paint combined so this is really really ahead of its time apparently uh this is from the yeah again 600 to 780 yeah, so this is this is like a, a full-blown mural just for the sake of being an aesthetic piece you know not for the sake of writing down a whole story in hieroglyphs but uh just for beautifying beautifying an indoor area like that that makes that makes me think of uh the la library where they have the huge dome at the top of the top of the building that's just uh when you're on the inside it's like it's all full of murals it looks great yeah and so this is a really interesting i have to focus on this so they say, unlike other paintings of this time period, this, these paintings don't feature any religious iconography. Instead, these paintings contain human figures, fish, and elephants. There are also birds, dancers, and singers. And I like that a lot, because this is basically a secular painting, or, or a secular, you know, um, mural, like sculpture mural, you know, like a sculpted mural with paint on top, like... You know, they're also they're mixing mediums and the and the, and what they decided the content they decided was not religious. It's just based off their off like just like real world things, which is very hard to find. Like most of Western America, almost almost all of Western cultures, uh, old art is in, in in terms of indoor paintings and murals are all religious based. Yeah, like you could uh, so uh, there's probably. Not the most difficult thing in the world to collect money, you know, to to commission a statue to satisfy a god, you know, like uh, Zeus demands that we create a an image of him. Uh, so everyone, you know, chip in your uh, chip in your drachmas or whatever the currency is, you know. Uh, but here, this is somebody. Uh, it's not built for a religious purpose. It's not built, or it wasn't made for religious purposes. It wasn't made for a data. So, you know, like this is this man's literal story written out in letters kind of purpose. And this it, was just for aesthetic beauty. Yeah, aesthetic beauty. And it also, I may or may not be wrong about this, I'm not sure, but it doesn't seem too focused on glorifying any kind of like higher thing. Even like a god, like a king, I mean. So these might be kings or something, I don't know. Like, or maybe they might, you know, I have no idea to be honest. But it's, but it's interesting to look and see, okay, like this guy's happy, he's smiling. That's for sure. He's smiling. And the other guy is smiling. And the other one has darker skin. The other one has lighter skin. There's a variance of race. So that, that's huge right there. That could be just... They could have been... They could have both been the same color. 
and and then over time that rubbed away right and now they looked like two different colors or at the very beginning they could have been two separate colors but that matters a lot like a whole lot that's a whole part of their entire like culture that could be that they could be trying to communicate and express here that like you know it could be that they got along with like a, like a local tribe that, they, that previously they didn't and so they all decided to sing, sing and dance with birds and dancers you know or or again it might just be a complete coincidence yeah it could be like two brothers you know one came out darker than the other one and that's just how they were in real life <laughs> exactly exactly all I'm trying to say is interesting though just to note though that right now at least they are two different skin tones and um, another one that's really interesting like about this is this to me looks like a flower like a lot of flowers at first I thought they were cave I mean uh, campfires but this looks like a flower for sure yeah. probably a uh, lotus of some sort. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not familiar enough with uh, uh, Buddhist or Indian iconography. Actually, it's 600 to 700. I don't know if that's when uh, Buddhism was happening. I think that was like 500 BC. But I'm not sure. That's the point of this, though. This is before Buddhism. Yeah. At least before Buddhism took over as like the uh, mainstream religion of India. Oh, yeah. Gautama Buddha was uh, alive sometime. Uh, between 560 BC to 400 BC. Yeah, so this is literally right, just a just a few hundred years before the Buddha, and what what we all see as ancient Indian culture, but this is pre-dated to that, even, which is, I, I think this is amazing. I've never seen this. I'm actually being really influenced by it myself. Yeah. So well, what's next here on the list? This is the oldest Japanese painting. Oh. See uh, here, this this article is mixing uh, some of this these data points. Yeah, I was gonna say this. So this one, I'm gonna skip. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> let's see. Okay, so the oldest British painting. Oldest British painting from 780. The Lindisfarne Gospels. Uh, vellum and pigment. Uh, vellum was a, um, a kind of a paper made out of leather, basically. Yeah, and we actually still use vellum to this day, just less and less. But and it's also like not original. But <laughs> what, uh, what, what's being what's being called vellum today? Like, how's that made? Oh, it's like a fake plastic vellum. It's like <laughs> it shouldn't even be called the same thing. Honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah that would make sense. Basically, synthetic vellum. Yeah. So the the plethora of vellum. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so this is interesting. So this is getting into paintings in the form of manuscripts. And uh, most of these religion, most of these were religious, and one of the full oldest and finest books, like Max said, was the uh, Lin, Lin... What is it? Lindisfarne Gospels. Lindisfarne Gospels. And today... It's more than 1,300 years old. The paintings contained with the book that are in remarkable shape. These groups of paintings are older than England itself. And it's, it's a perfect example of Celtic, Anglo-Saxon, and Mediterranean artistic elements and styles. So this is, again, another finding with before religion really took its, uh, its hold. But they're saying that some of its... Some of it's religious, some of it's not from that time period. Kind of reminds me of um, the Book of Kells, which was a which was a Christian uh, Christian document, I think. 
and it's just beautifully uh, here look check this out it's beautifully illustrated like geometric uh, hand hand painted and inked uh, artistry what is this so that our, our audience uh, can see uh, this is this is a, a picture out of the book of Kells honestly I just uh, I w- perfect so a picture out of the book of Kells you can look that up on Google and you can see what Max is talking about right now because it looks really beautiful um, but yeah, basically these time periods, uh, there really are some of the best book designs ever made, even to this day. I mean, and, and I'll tell you why, because I've seen these in person. I've seen some of the oldest written Bibles that, were, that, that took literally generations to, to craft before this thing was done. So, I mean, so each, so basically what, what would happen is somebody would spend their entire life like their entire you know 50 to 60 years of life back then (laughs) to make this like the first like two chapters you know and that would be like oh my goodness like i i'm so happy you know like with the fact i got to two two chapters because my dad tried to do one and he only got to half a chapter (laughs) right you know yeah exactly like the, the the family legacy is that the cathedral got built faster for this generation than it did for the last generation. Right. So literally, it would be like your father's 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 father started this this like bookmaking uh, uh, tradition, and you guys have been have been crafting crafting and perfecting typography. Uh, you know, color uh, how to make certain colors stick to paper for ten years instead of two years. How to make there's just so many factors that that goes into these grand, these amazing f- book uh, books that were just handmade. And and then and then you know there had to be someone else or that same person, right, who had to be extremely talented at representational drawing because uh, representational drawing and typography are two completely different facets of world i mean nowadays one's graphic design and and the subset of that typography within graphic design the other one is art like representational art or illustration you know so i would argue that these are both design and art and that's not common that i'll say that but because because it took a long time period for people to start kind of incorporating the two because they both had to had to separate or develop as two separate islands and then eventually they start to intersect uh, the more in the more modern we get, so. So basically, what you're saying is that this book deserves its own movie credit scene. Yeah, because it's so ahead of its time. Yeah, and it just like producer key grip for you know. <laughs> it's a little ahead. It's ahead of its time for merging art and design, and needs a movie script because it took so many people to all put it all together. I mean, this is not one person. This is again generations of teams working on this stuff to just produce one book. And so a lot of it's gold lining with super detailed blue and red ink and with uh, super detailed... Yeah, vivid colors that have survived. Vivid colors that have survived for 1,200 years. Exactly. These, like, super bright green, like, emerald green. And these are still bright nowadays. So imagine how bright they were when they first put it down. It was probably as, as bright, as just, just as bright as, like, like, a, like Photoshop blue on a, on a you know? On a full brightness monitor. Yeah, just like someone t- pushing the full strength of their printer doing a CYMK test. Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, these are very vibrant. Actually, no, honestly, what am I talking about? They're way more vibrant than digital computers. Like, honestly, digital colors are are a sad like representation of what they had back then, even. And what because this is why we know that is because we were able to reproduce those colors just nowadays version. 
and see and, and compare the two yeah, and but, see how bright they truly were. And, and that goes back to um, kind of the material origins of of the material origins of the medium of ink, you know, and uh, where uh, a specific kind of blue is is that exact kind of blue because of the material that it comes from, whether it be like a piece, you know, like a me- like kind of a metal origin that's you know built off of chemistry or like uh, a biological one where uh, you have a, a grown plant like indigo and that you would render into a, a, like a new, another new purple ink or something um, so th- like you said the, the pure like craft that it took to build this book was built off of generations of knowledge and experimentation on you know so some person could have spent a decade perfecting one shade of green in that book and that would have been part of the um the grand collection you know of skills and people that it took just to make one page exactly so let's 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 get out the giant stack of resumes of of medieval craftsmen and show like how many years of work you know got put into building the skills for that thing yeah and then to put things into perspective now you can just like go to print my Facebook and have it shipped to you and have a whole book of your entire life in shipped to you in days. I mean, it's a fucking joke compared. You know, like like what it took, what it takes now to make a book to record your history versus what it took then to record history. And of course, they didn't need to make it as grand as they did. But they wanted to. Of course, they had b- basic, boring books. But they wanted to push the envelope of what was humanly possible, as artists do. This is this is yeah. This is an example of the of the people who were pushing the envelope during that time. There were obviously tons of people who were using vellum to write completely uh, c- compared to this. Just you know, completely bland works of data transfer again <laughs> you know they, this, these taxes were collected on these days and uh, this this shipment of sheep arrived in Cappadocia uh, you know on this year and <laughs> now th- now th- this this lord owes this many ounces of gold to this lord yeah and so I think I think what Max is trying to get to is just that uh, these books were used to again as to record humanity for necessity right but what I'm also trying to add to, to this which is that even though they are recording history with a necessity they're also adding they're spending so much time years and years right just to add this extra element of art expression through the colors and the imagery Whereas all they had to do was just put the typography and they were done. The black typography on white paper done, as far as just pure design. But, you know, so that's what I'm trying to say, that this is truly the best, one of the best, uh, earliest examples of bookmaking as art. Because I, as a bookmaker, have made books by hand, where I selected the paper, designed everything on the page, you know, like like... I mean, from the ground up, just made a book, you know, and so I, I know how much work it, it takes even just nowadays, so I really cherish how much time that these people spend on these old books. I mean, it's it's astonishing. I, I wouldn't, I love book bookmaking, but I would never spend that much time on just one book. I'm 
that I'm not that kind of person. I'm like I'd rather like think of the idea, design it, and then like give it to a team to to make it for the next sixty years. <laughs> like I, I I can't do that. So I mean I can, but technically I could figure it out. I just don't have the the will. Yeah, well, so much dedication. Thankfully, we live in a time with a lot of technology that allows a lot of people to get a lot of work, work done faster. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, is that technology these days allows us to do what they did in terms of uh, meaning make a book to communicate a story with design and expression just uh just mag just magnitudes faster just you know times 20 fold faster it's or more i mean it's insane so uh I'll, okay, so I, when I was in UCLA back in 2011, our professor took us to a, this museum. I forget the name of it, but I'll look it up and I'll and I'll uh, I'll put it down where this podcast is at, so you guys can find it. And it, it was truly just such a relic of of this type of bookmaking and art intersection. So the one that really stuck out to me, well, first off, they had the, the Gutenberg Bible, which is the most expensive Bible, like the biggest, most expensive, most regal Bible ever made in human history. And so I got to see the Gutenberg Bible in person and look at it. And, and I mean, it is everything we've been saying, just gold, like like let, gold letters, gold trimmed, every single page, right? And then there's like a whole entire story. Then you can even, like it's it's got secret messages in it where, where they found... Um, where pe- where the creators fucked up and put an image on top of an area that had a different image underneath it that had letters like a message underneath. Oh wow! So s- someone edited the work. Yeah. They went, went so, back. They went back and, and post. Yeah. So it's ed- it's got Photoshop edits that look that look like the original that no one would ever t- like the, the 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 untrained eye would never find ever and unless they like wanted to risk breaking the Gutenberg Bible and, and, and cutting it open, you know? Uh-huh. So, and the reason why they're able to find this stuff now is with, uh, with, um, imaging, imaging, you know, like, like infrared and you, and just so many just different types of imaging, uh, that they can use to, to see below. Honestly, I forget the types, but all I'm trying to say is that they can use modern new technologies, new cameras to, to see underneath an extra layer, uh, without, without actually having to break the page. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting. And uh, so the other example, other than the Gutenberg Bible, was some, some, this actually influenced my own work. So somebody made like a children's book, one of the first children's books, as it was in the shape of a moon, like a big perfect circle. And, and it had like, like a crescent moon on it. Because back then they thought that that was what the moon looked like in reality. It was a big crescent moon, okay. <laughs> you know. And so then they uh, then you'd open it. Basically, it was it was the f- one like one of the first earliest catalogs of what they thought the universe looked like, like astronomy, you know. Oh wow! So yeah, it was it was a it was, it was an astronomical recording of the sky, uh, page by page, and each page was like a different year. Um, it's, it's, it's like the equivalent to what we would download as Google Star Maps, but in a book. And it was it was the same detail, just so high quality. And the, cust- the, the again, it was a circular book, so each page was custom cut as well. So custom design, custom manufactured paper, custom cut, 
custom everything and this is just one of the best books ever made and so another one that really influenced one of my other works which was uh, it was a it was a, a different children's book and they had words written words and they had visually descriptive pictograms that were that were designed in place of certain words so it would be like the children were playing with the and it'd be an, uh, an, a, a photorealistic illustration of a ball, like a red ball, like a bright red ball. So, so you know, they're 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 in purposefully engaging your imagination. It took more time and effort to practice how to draw balls, and then leave us an exact indentation in between the letter forms and draw a ball and choose the color red and paint it and color it. They could have messed up and at any point. They would have had to restart the entire page. You know, so it took a lot of skill and time and effort for them to express, for them to, to come up with this unique concept to mix the written word and visually descriptive pictograms as il- colorful illustrations for the first time in recorded human history. You know, so this person pro- pushed the envelope of design of their time period, whereas now to us what I just, what I just described you can find at in any children's book around the world. And so I ended up actually making my own version. Uh, I called it Picto Poetry. You can find it on my website, uh, www.philipschristopher.com. And it's basically just three poems where I, I have words that cut out with, with pictograms that I hand-designed myself. Uh, shameless plug over. So <laughs> I ha- honestly, this is the end of our podcast. I really hope that you guys have enjoyed it. I know we went a little longer than usual, but I'm glad you're here. And Max is our, our, our grand historian here. We're going to be inviting him back again to talk about the past. Max, would you like to say any uh, outro goodbyes? Uh, well, I'm glad you had me on the podcast. This was a lot of fun. Thank you a lot, and uh, maybe I'll be back. <laughs> awesome. Maybe. I don't know. And we'll have to ask Chris P. and see what he says. Exactly. <laughs> Alright, adios. See you guys. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the first episode of Art Now. This is going to be a podcast that invite that invites artists and designers from LA and around the world to talk about the new media art scene, the future of art, technology art, and where the world is going in the creative space. If you would like to see some of my actual graphic design or new media arts work so you can see what I'm talking about, you can go to www.philipschristopher.com. Or you can check out my Instagram at underscore X-R-I-S-P-Y. That's crispy. And see you next time.